Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Hello, my creative brothers and sisters. Sourdough here. And I want to tell you about some cool new things we got for you at NotRealArt.com. We just launched our artist education program where you can learn and grow your arts career. We call it the Not Real Art School. Not Real Art School features five free courses with top artists and business experts, all who spoke at our Creators Conference in 2019. Our free courses include important business topics for any artist, such as how to protect your art, how to market your art, how to license your art, and even how to pitch your ideas in Hollywood. Our Not Real Art School program also contains free career advice from top artists who tell you how they achieve success in their careers. These artists include Jorge Gutierrez, Logan Hicks, Julie B., and Human. Take advantage of this empowering content today. Just visit notrealart.com and click on the school link to get access to this valuable educational content. And the best part is, it's all free. Yes, free. So you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Visit notrealart.com today to learn this important business knowledge and grow your arts career. Here's more good news. Not Real Art now offers a new art buying program in collaboration with LA-based art publisher Sugar Press Art. This is great news because now you can easily buy cutting-edge contemporary art at affordable prices and get free shipping with every purchase simply by going to notrealart.com. Sugar Press publishes over 80 amazing contemporary artists that I know you'll love. Artists include Colette Miller, Aaron Yoshi, Jorge Gutierrez, Man One, Risk, Tanner Goldbeck, Max Neutra, Two Fly, and many, many more. To take advantage of our new art buying program, simply go to notrealart.com, click on shop, and you'll be there. You'll find all these amazing artists at affordable prices, and you'll get free shipping. Okay, heads up, my creative brothers and sisters. Not Real Art now has an exclusive membership program designed just for you. If you're an artist or an art lover and you appreciate what we do here at Not Real Art and you'd like to join the family and help support the cause and celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it, please consider becoming a member today. Your membership will help support our work, such as funding our artist grant and production costs for all the programs and content we produce. Your membership will also help us stay independent and commercial free. And when you do become a member, you'll get valuable benefits and perks we think you'll find very cool. And becoming a member is super affordable. Just $5 a month for artists and $10 a month for art lovers. So to become a member of the Not Real Art family, simply go to notrealart.com, click on membership to sign up, and help us celebrate and elevate the creative culture we love and the artists who make it. Thank you. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. 
The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast that celebrates creative culture. I'm your host, Sourdough. My co-host, Man One, is on assignment today, so you're just stuck with me. On today's episode, I'm honored to be joined by one of our grant winners for 2020, wonderful human being, Kiara Machado. Central American artist, uh, actually her family immigrated to America. So she's first generation American with roots in Central America and just a fantastic artist and human being. We talked today about her work and her journey and uh, everything in between. And it was just such a, a joy to speak with her and to have her as part of the Not Real Art family. For those of you who may not know about this, we have a grant. Uh, we started in 2019, and in 2020, we awarded the grant to six artists. It's a small grant, it's a $2,000 grant to six different artists. And we want to help celebrate and elevate them, want to help them promote their work and tell their stories. And so we're having each of the grant winners on the podcast. And of course, if you're an artist and you want to apply for the 2021 grant, go to notrealart.com, click on grant and fill out the app. There's no fee. So what do you got to lose? Go do it. But I just really enjoyed my talk with Kiara. She's so smart. And (laughs) we had some technical difficulties, of course, you know, in the COVID age here, we're doing everything remotely. And sometimes the interwebs don't cooperate. So if you hear any glitches, don't blame me. Blame the geniuses that created this crazy web that we call the worldwide. But beyond that, the content is fantastic. I think you're going to be super inspired by what Kira has to say. Definitely want you to find her online and follow her on Instagram. Kiara underscore Eileen underscore arts, and that's spelled K-I-A-R-A underscore A-I-L-E-E-N underscore arts, A-R-T-S. So be sure to follow her on Instagram and show some love. Lastly, before I sign off and get into this interview, which I know you're going to really, really appreciate, I just can't help but encourage all the folks out there who have not yet registered to vote in this year's presidential election, arguably the most consequential election in the history of this country. So time is running out to register. So don't hesitate, get out there, get registered to vote and make sure your voice is heard on November 3rd. And so, yeah, with that being said, let's not waste any more time. Let's get into this interview with the delightful and charming and multi-talented Kira Machado. Let's go. 
Kiara Machado, welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's so great to have you here. Are you a fan of podcasts? Do you have a, a favorite podcast that you like to listen to? Yeah, most definitely, especially while painting. I feel like growing up with so much technology, I definitely have like multiple screens. So I'll have like the TV playing in the background and then either listening to like music or a podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, as far as podcasts, I do listen to a lot of like Central American mm-hmm. diasporic just to connect us to have something. Yes. Um, yeah, so I listen to that. So the, the Central American podcasts that you listen to, are they art-centric? Are they political? Are they, what's the content? So it's done by Central American Collective, and I believe it's called Central American Voices. Mm-hmm. And it just pretty much talks about like identity issues that we normally deal with at Central American. And it's just nice to hear that validation. You know, sometimes certain situations happen and arise and because other folks don't have to deal with that aspect, sometimes it kind of gets into my mind of like, oh, am I being overtly sensitive? So it's just nice to hear. So they do definitely cover like politics, identity, erasure. So very politically identity driven. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And you said in the run up that you've been a guest on some podcasts as well. Yes. Yeah. What, um, uh, what podcast have you been on? I was on a podcast. I work um, a lot with Curator Love and mainly with Erica uh, Herugami. And mm-hmm. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right. But it was also at the beginning of the outbreak of the pandemic. So it was also interesting to get together with her as well as another artist, Tia. And we also pretty much just talked about, you know, it was like at the beginning. So like, how do we move forward? You know, what how certain issues arose, arisen <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. from this? So yes, yeah, so I was on a podcast through Curator Love. Yeah, they're fun. There's so many podcasts now. I mean, it's yes. almost impossible to find the good ones because there's so many good yes. ones, right? I guess. Uh, so it's great to hear what other people are listening to. And and I'm just so grateful that we were able to get together today remotely where, and for our listeners' sake, We are talking online here through a podcasting uh, platform called Squadcast. Mm -hmm. Shout out to the guys at Squadcast. Where are you? I'm I'm actually in sort of central California today. Where are you uh, calling in from? I'm based out of San Gabriel Valley. Yeah. So I work through, I live in Glendora. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It looks like, like, I'm guessing you're in your studio. It looks like you have some uh, work behind you there. Yes. Yeah. I have some work behind me that's. Some in progress. Another one is almost, um, another piece is done, but it's like for an upcoming future project. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's a little sneak peek. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel very lucky. So what has production been like for you over the last five, six months? I mean, clearly we're living in a very strange time on multiple levels, not the least of which is the COVID pandemic. Some artists I've spoken to are able to be very productive during this time. And some mm-hmm. artists I've spoken to are finding it difficult to be productive. How are you feeling and, and what's your work like these days? Yeah, I think it has definitely benefited to have my workspace and my like studio space where I live, you know, so I didn't have to, that extra like cautionary, you know, with like the paranoia of contracting the virus pretty much anywhere. So thankfully having the, having my studio here at home has definitely benefited and like has allowed me, you know, cause I work at weird hours. Like I feel most, most artists do. I definitely messed up my sleeping schedule, like fully blown into working overnight. So the productivity, thankfully, I feel like that has been one of like my saviors of being able to fully focus on and not have any 
distractions in the sense of like, you know, as to before having meetings like in person or going to certain places, you know, and then also like LA traffic, I've also put it that cuts out hours too. So, or commuting, you know, public transit and things like that. So definitely having it here, I've been able to, I've been able to work, thankfully. But I think the only thing that has gone in the way is like you said, like the virus and COVID is like one of the, just one of the factors that are happening right now, right? Especially like with Black Lives Matter. Yes. So I felt like, I think that was like another thing of, I felt very weird and strange and like not right to be promoting my artwork during this time that, you know, of course, like the issues with Black Lives Matter hasn't always, it's always been there. Like these issues have always been there. So, but especially like, you know, right now with like George Floyd and not just George Floyd, but many other um, folks who have been murdered at the hands of the police. I just felt kind of weird, like promoting my artwork. So I think that was just like the thing of like, you know, there isn't really like a set time to start sharing my work. So I've kind of started posting a little bit, but it still definitely feels like a little weird. So on that aspect, I feel like when is it just trying to balance that out? But um, activity wise, I've thankfully I've been able to art has definitely been able to keep me my mental health. That's helped my mental health a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, right? Because Every artist is so different in your case, right? I mean, it's like, yes, the the painting in your work helps you sort of stay sane and, and maintain a level of, of happiness, I guess. And yet some folks can't seem to produce right now. And it's just mm-hmm. a fascinating time. And then we, we all just were so devastated by George Floyd's murder. And it's interesting, even in the work that we do, I stopped posting. I stopped, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, it all felt quite frankly at all. I mean, I love art. I mean, art is, you know, mm-hmm. I've worked in arts my whole life. It is core to who I am yet, even in those, in that moment. And even now to some degree, or maybe less so, it just felt so, I don't know, trite and just like, mm-hmm. which is not fair, but it's just like, I just, I don't know. I just had to shut up and just be quiet and just, be still. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely a time to reflect and also to not center our voices and our platforms around us, like non-Black folks. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was, I think that's just something that is good to also like take into, you know, reflect and also like call ourselves in and really be like, what, what are we doing at the moment, you know, like in this history now being present and then also in the future, being able to look back and like be, be proud of like what we did and doing hopefully continue to do yeah like one of the things that i kind of came to was like well i want to use like the next few months are so important right between now and november and no matter how you feel about joe biden or kamala or whatever like Mm -hmm. anything is better than trump yeah and it's just like i want to use the podcast that's my opinion anyway but in Mm -hmm. i want to use the podcast to encourage people to vote Trump out. <laughs> and yeah. So that's one of the things that I've decided to do with the podcast this fall. It's mm-hmm. like, no matter who I'm talking to, whether it's you or the next artist, or whatever, I always want to just beat that drum, you know, to yeah. encourage people to vote and help them understand that, yeah, Biden may not be our best choice, mm-hmm. but you know what? It's, we got to get Trump out. That's the bigger point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's a, huge positive way of with technology with these podcasts like you said of being able to and it is different you know you're not physically there you know we're not physically talking but we're still able to connect and have these conversations and it's good to continue to hold these conversations not just pat you know because there's also been a lot of that of more than just an instagram post right it's like actually taking those posts or like reposting into actions and actually 
using this platform, whatever platform folks have to actually do something and continue to do something not like, you know, after the burnout, after like the hype or whatever, but continue to talk about these issues. hundred percent. And I mean, I'm a white dude that grew up in the Midwest, but you know, my mm-hmm. two children I've adopted and, and, you know, they're, my daughter's African-American, my son is a mixed race and I worry for them. I would just worry anyway for anybody, but as a, mm-hmm. as a dad and as a white guy, Uh, these issues are even more relevant to me than maybe some people would assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, enough of politics. Let's talk about art. I'm just, I'm so in love with your work. It is so rich and so beautiful and so complex. I mean, the, the amount of layers and the amount of, of meaning and connections and in hidden, just hidden gems, you know, it takes a long time you know, to absorb. Where does that sophistication come from? I mean, you're sorry for asking. I know it's rude. I'm 50. I turned 50 this year. I'm guessing you're 25. How old are you? Yeah, actually close. 26. Okay. 26. Uh, Explain your work to me a little bit. Where does that richness, that complexity, that sophistication come from as a 26 year old painter? uh, It's just so inspiring. Thank you so much. That's a lot from frustration. Anger and frustration. Um, So everything ties back to my identity of being Central American, right? And having also recognizing the privileges of being born in this country. Because I do recognize that. But I think, you know, having dealt with these issues for a long time, you know, I remember as far back, like every year as far back as like kindergarten through elementary, middle school, high school, all the way until like currently to always have to be defending my identity has created that like perspective of being able to also analyze other identities who don't get that platform of like being like, okay, you know, I'm Central American. My mom's from Guatemala. My dad's from El Salvador. My great grandmother was from Honduras. And then having Central America so close and for folks to not even realize where Central America is, you know, so all these frustrations of having to have the same conversation, not just once, not just twice, but hundreds of times also with friends, people within like the Latinx community also not really having like that solidarity. So always having to deal with this, right? Of course, like the conversation differed from when I was a child to, you know, when I was able to actually tap into more like complex language or not even complex language, but just be able to hold these like types of conversations. So having those issues like always persistent, you know, I always knew that like I've always wanted to, and I've been proud. I'm always proud. That's like the first thing that I want to like shout out to Central America. So being so proud and thankfully having both those cultures so prominent within my household, you know, I don't feel any more or less of one side than the other. So that has always like pertained into or transferred into my art and wanting to uplift that, you know, because every time oh, the first time that folks feel Central America, it's mainly like violence or MS-13 or they're very hard. And it is true, you know, like that's why my parents left. And just wanting to also show like the beauty and the richness of our culture and how also diverse it is. You know, I'm only one representation of Central America. You know, I'm not the representation, but I'm only just one of like such a diverse and beautiful culture. So wanting to uplift and hopefully for other folks to see it or when they see my art and hopefully be like, is that like, like speaks to me or like I can relate to that. So definitely wanting to connect with folks who feel that erasure, who have some type of visibility and invisibility. 
So the sort of aesthetic beauty and complexity is one thing, mm -hmm. but they, again, my interpretation, but it feels like there's a sort of a, almost a rich spirituality about your work. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to spirituality, I mean, well, to what extent does spirituality play into your work? And yeah. uh, what do you do, if anything, to find wisdom and joy in your spirit? Mm -hmm. So I'm Catholic, but mm -hmm. I am fine to have debates like going against Catholicism just because of the history of it. Sure. And obviously, even now, or even how Catholicism came into Central America. So on that aspect, definitely, I think the use of like the botanicals within, I, I think any time of stress, like with anybody, right, going back into nature and really appreciating the nature and like really respecting it. And then also, I think it also comes with like just generations of, you know, we have these things of like, whenever I get sick or certain types of things of like alternative medicinal uses, like my grandma will have all these alternatives, you know, especially right now with COVID, certain things have happened. You know, I'm assuming most folks have been affected by a lot of things. So we've dealt with certain situations. And my grandma was like quick to like, oh, get orange leaves, get a tea of orange leaves. If it's only for one person, you use X amount of leaves. If it's going to be for more people, you know, X amount of leaves and just drink the water. So things like that, too, of like really being able to see these plants and know like the uses of not just like aesthetically using them within my work or being able to tie them back into like central to Southern California, but also knowing like, or being able to use these as like for our bodies, like ingesting them. So I think that's where I can also connect with it spiritually of like knowing that they go beyond just like looking pretty, but being able to the different uses of them. Yeah. And I want to be clear for our listeners, right? It's not that you're using religious iconography in your work. You're not. Mm -hmm. I think for me, what it is, I'm a, I love nature. I love being outdoors. I love camping. I love you know, hiking. Yeah, yeah. And so I think maybe when I see your work, because mm -hmm. there's so much reference, you know, to the natural yeah. world on some level, it, it feels spiritual to me, which mm -hmm. is why I wanted to ask about it. At least that's kind of what was resonating with me. Mm -hmm. um, talk about the women in mm -hmm. your work. Yeah, I definitely focus a lot more on, on women. And I think it's just that sense of the experience of the women, it being like trans women, queer women, femme women, just how uplifting and I feel also how much solidarity I've had with women and women of color that have truly been there for me and always been there to support me. So I feel like it definitely is, I don't know, I, I've just been more drawn to painting women and like diverse set of women. And I think that's why I try and use altered colors and because I also don't want to like just be painting certain, you know, I do have the privilege of being like light skin. So I wouldn't also want to like just focus on painting like a particular skin color. So I think that's why also trying to use highly saturated colors and like hues really envelop and try to uplift different a variety of women but I think also just having really strong roles of you know my mother and my grandmother and being able to have, like hold these conversations and and things that have maybe seemed normal that I've realized are radical have been radical you know even both my grandmothers were single and even like having that as like during the times that they were growing up in central Guatemala and El Salvador I realized like how radical that was and the type of work that they were doing and just how strong will they are of just literally like their their existence being being that resistance within 
within like the community. Like it's just such a, such a natural just to paint women. Yeah. Do you get back to Central America from time to time? Yeah, so it's been a little harder just because of my um, schedule. But now that I finished school and now that COVID hit, I was really happy to, I was looking forward to going back. My mom and my sisters have gone more recently. I was able to go to Guatemala a few years ago and Salvador, I haven't been to a long time, but my dad would go, but he, he'd be like, oh, I'm going tomorrow. Do you want to go? So I was like, well, I have school. I can't really go. <laughs> but hopefully uh, once COVID passes and hopefully once it gets safer, we were planning a trip to go. So hopefully soon we'll be able to go again. Yeah. Why do you think there's such naivete and or and or ignorance around the amazing nuance and complexity and diversity, I'll use the word diversity, about what I'll call Latin culture. So many people think, oh, Mexico, South America, Central America, it's all the same. And mm-hmm. by the way, nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've done some traveling. I ha- mm-hmm. I've been to South America. I've been to Mexico many times. I've, I've sadly not yet made it to Central America, but I've gotten a taste of, of how different... Definitely. No, and so it's talk a little bit about that and, and your frustration around that, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like you've traveled. So even even from hearing the accents, right? Like in one country, even within Central America, like our slang, even from Guatemala, like when my mom will say certain words and my dad's side of the family is like, what? So <laughs> it, it's so interesting. And I love that. Like, I love being able to talk about slang within like with other folk, right? Like, oh, what does this mean? Like, what does that mean? And it's just so beautiful. So I, it's just so, it is incredibly frustrating when other folks just like see or hear somebody speaking Spanish and they automatically assume that they're from like a specific country, you know? And I honestly, I don't understand because either they haven't traveled or they haven't like read books. I don't know what's the thought process of like folks who do live here. And I mean, I guess it goes into like history too, right? Like how history books and it's been taught in such a white perspective, white favoring that it like he'll tell like he'll tell straight up lies and be like those are facts. Right, so right. it just goes into the way that things are taught growing up and being and like reading and looking back at those textbooks and being like wow and even resources. So accessibility to these things. There's this one book called um, Algorithms of Oppression and mm. even like, the way that things are coded. People might when you Google in something like when you Google in something you know like when things like pop up. Mm-hmm. Like the first things to pop up. So sometimes like you could look at those and be like, wow, like that's really what people are asking about, like a specific ethnicity or like country. Mm-hmm. But even those things are coded in a way that those things are the first things to pop up. So even that, you know, of like not thinking about the way that the resources are let out or the way that like facts are. And I think accessibility is a huge thing because every time that I try and look up, Central American figures, artists, literature. I have to go in with a direct name or a direct site because nothing will come up. Like right. nothing will come up, or it'll be like middle of America, and I'm like, no, I'm not the country. Yeah, uh, right. So, so I think a lot of factors go into the play of why folks just like clump together, folks who look a certain way or they have a certain idea, right? Because there's a huge Black community presence within Mexico. Central South America, and yet that's not the very first thing that people or people are astounded, you know, Afro Latinx or Black folks speaking Spanish, you know. So I think yeah, it's something that both 
within America, Latinx community, you know, it's just a huge issue. There's so many intersecting factors that we have to, that go into play with the erasure or the clumping together of a certain ethnicity or, or race. Yeah, no, that's fascinating about the example about Google. I mean, that's a very specific example of systemic racism, right? Yeah, and it's something that doesn't like pop into our heads because we're so used to seeing right. that we either don't question until, you know, it comes up through this book, you know, just like learning or like reading, but it's like, thankfully somebody else has done that research, but it's like, wow, it like brings up other questions of like, oh, okay, so it's not just like, they're going out of their way to make these things hard, or they're going out of their way to instigate or to what's like cement these ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or I mean, yeah, maybe they are going out of their way to do that, but maybe they just don't even care to get it right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like, like that's the other thing too. That's so frustrating. It's like, Oh, it's not a priority to represent mm-hmm. the truth yeah. accurately. Well, Hey, I have a question for you. Do yes. you remember the first drawing or painting that you ever made? I don't. I do know that I would draw a lot of like my sister's projects. Cause I was like, oh, that's easy. And my sister's like seven years older than I am. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> so, you were doing her homework? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I would like, I would do, so my sister's a RN. So during like her medical school, they'd have like, they'd have to do like charts of like, oh, soup nation, plantation, or like yeah. the way that certain body parts like curve and stuff. And I remember like, I would do that for her. Cause I was like, oh, that's like so easy. Just like do this. And she's like, well, can you do like the rest and stuff. And some of the teachers would like keep those charts. But I don't remember my very, like, first drawing. I remember, like, certain things of, like, coloring, like, in kindergarten. And I do remember, like, my very first thought of being, like, I want to be an artist. Like, that's what I want to be. But then I would, like, change it, you know, because of, like, I'd be like, no, I need money. So I was like, I guess I'll be a doctor. <laughs> I don't remember what, well, like, I- it, it, it sounds like, right, like you, you, you know, as so many artists are, right, you're born into it and you, you just have those muscles, you have those those synapses firing in the brain. And But it also sounds like you've been incredibly supported all these years by your family. Definitely. Thankfully, I feel like at times maybe they didn't under, like quite understand what like art meant mm-hmm. or like what a career in going into art meant. So it was definitely like a learning process, right? Of being like, well, like, what do you exactly like do with that? But they have been incredibly supportive. I definitely know that like, if I didn't have their support, even being able to have my studio at home, right? Like the space, that space given and that respect given, that like mutual respect of like, hey, like I'm working right now. But yeah, I definitely, like I would not have been able to continue to do art as much as I am right now if I didn't have like their full support. And it's beautiful to see them go into, I mean, right now, obviously we haven't been going to like, galleries or like art shows or things like connecting to art and community but it's really beautiful to see them like have like start like questioning things or like they would go through stages of like everything's art like that's art and I'm like no you can like question stuff like you know, <laughs> like have to don't give it all credit even if it's like in a museum setting like right, right. so it's really cool now like the development of like these thought process because now they're like I don't like that you know so it's really cool to have these like conversations and see them like really because they miss like the shows they like miss going to it and like getting dressed up and like holding space and like being like yeah we're meant to be here (laughs) so yeah so I'm incredibly thankful for their like unconditional love and support yeah I mean that's so important for any child right Mm -hmm. and rare for so many children but as somebody who 
has many friends whose family immigrated from other countries. I mean, I have you know, friends that you know were, were had a lot of pressure from their parents Definitely. You know, to get a real job, yeah. whether it's a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or whatever, because they risked everything to come to this country. Yeah. And so the mm-hmm. notion that your son, your son or daughter are going to be an artist could be very stressful. And being a first generation American mm-hmm. yourself, I get the sense that you never really had that pressure. I definitely, I felt like I put it on myself because yeah. I think that even though my first thought was I'm going to be an artist, I definitely changed it because, and I changed it like all throughout until I, would, I went to community college before going to Cal State Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Even until then, I was like, I changed it from like, a doctor to a nurse to like lawyer. I was like, maybe I can do it. So you, then, you were once a declared medical student, a biology mm-hmm. student and a law student. Like you declared majors in those areas. No, I hadn't declared them, but I was like helping myself mentally. Like right. before graduating high school, I was like, I think I can do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can shut this down. And then I was yeah. like, no, once I got into community college and I felt the difference, you know, I think, cause I hadn't, there was a time when I didn't do art and I just, like I felt it. And so I was like, I think I took like a art class in community college. And I was like, yeah, this is what's been missing. And but then even then I was trying to go into the arts, but with like a more, I guess, like in that back then, like in a more like respectable manner or like with something that I would be like, economic stability. So I was like, oh, maybe like art therapy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get an MFA in, but I was like, oh, I can, if I say like art therapy, maybe like extended family members like they'll understand what that is yes but i just like i couldn't and then it comes also because like my oldest sisters uh, are a registered nurse my middle sisters um she's a marriage and family uh, therapist mm-hmm. so i was like oh man but i think they see in like how hard i work and how much i go out out of my way to like look for opportunities with thankfully to to their like work ethic i got that too and it just applied it to art uh, but yeah i definitely felt those pressures within myself. Well, that's, I mean, that kind of work ethic is so key, right? Because I know a lot of artists who are talented, but they're lazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, and that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And I think Chuck Close or somebody said, inspiration is for amateurs, right? You get up, you go to the office, you go to the studio every morning mm-hmm. and you work. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of it will be garbage that you won't be happy with. But that's how you get to the good stuff that you like. It's also about the work ethic to promote that work and market that work. You seem to be incredibly rigorous about your career, from what I can tell. Definitely. And I think that comes from even from choosing to go into the arts and be like, okay, you know, I would love to be able to sustain my parents and for them to like not have to not just have to worry about me, but that I could like sustain them that if we hopefully I'm able to like continue to show outside of California, but for me to be able to like fund their expenses too, not just cover like mine, you know, that's like the ultimate goal of for them to rest easy and like actually be able to enjoy the life that they've worked so hard for. But yeah, I actually forgot the question. Sorry. No, no, no. We're just, no, no question really. I think we're just talking oh, we're- about the importance of, of work ethic and being oh, rigorous yeah. and being disciplined about yeah. showing up every day and not just making work, but also yeah. about handling the business, which I know a lot of artists really don't like having to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think the business side is definitely hardest for me because that is something that I feel should be taught or like be included in undergrad because yeah. it's something even from like protecting my own work or like I have no knowledge, you know, it's all about like 
trial and error and like doing invoices or handling certain things. But yeah, the business side, I do definitely wish that that would be like incorporated somehow or that like I should have taken like a business class, but I do feel like it could have been incorporated into like the BFA program just to even have like a few things that be like, well, this is going to come up or if this comes up because the business side is definitely something that I've had to learn like on my own. Or like sometimes like I'll be able to like ask other friends who maybe have like gone through similar situations. But yeah, the business side is something that like I'm still definitely learning and will probably continue to learn. And now I feel like I do have like certain resources or certain folks that like I can ask. But yeah, the business side is is a work in progress forever. No, but you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it, it, the fact that art colleges, universities, art schools with art programs, it's well... This might sound extreme, but I would argue it's unethical at best and immoral at worst that they don't teach artists how Definitely. to handle their business. And because not only should art schools be teaching kind of business one-on-one, but mm-hmm. they should be teaching artists how the art market works, how the art industry yeah. works, how the gallery system works or doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because, you know, once we graduate, then it's just like all on our own. Yeah. And yeah, there's like many aspects of like, yeah, like not just like curators, but maybe like folks who work in the gallery, like how do you like work those relations or how do you like hold these conversations or how do you bring up certain topics, you know, and it's, yeah, it definitely is hard because yeah, of course they teach you like the technical, like actually like physically like painting or whatever your medium of choice is. But yeah, going beyond that, it's like, it's just that, like they just purely focus on that. And it, it would have definitely helped to have some knowledge versus like going in and now and like kind of learning as I go. And that's definitely something that I feel like hopefully will get incorporated or will be like worked in there somehow, because I think that would definitely be beneficial to like future artists. Well, and I feel like there are more resources now for artists to learn about business to, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, master classes online or whether it's conferences or whatever, where you can go and learn. Yeah. And that's great. And I mean, part of it too, is just being driven by the fact that because of, technology, digital technology specifically, has democratized business and commerce in a way that mm-hmm. I mean, when I was in high school, you know, there was no internet. I couldn't have started a business. Now yeah. a high school student can run a million dollar business on, you know, mm-hmm. because they started a website. And so artists now can leapfrog over the gallery yeah. model and go mm-hmm. directly to consumers which and collectors, which sounds great and it is great. But it's also mm-hmm. fraught with all kinds of challenges because it's not just about having a website, but it's about having a, a website that is set up properly and you're using yeah. SEO best practice. You know, it's like all this stuff that is, yeah. you know, you got to learn. It's stressful. Yeah. And it's like, and again, it's like only one person, like it's only me, like handling like all these things. So it's like, yeah, like a website, I did like the bare minimum, like I'm still learning, like I don't know how to do these things. But yeah, and it's like, I'm not just like focused on that. It's like creating work, writing artist statements, like applying for grants, finding like like economic stability. Yeah, it's just like one person. Like I feel like most artists like struggle with this. Like you're the manager, CEO, like employer. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that like also like having, trying to like set schedules of like trying to remember everything, Mm -hmm. setting everything up. Like, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the other thing though too is like, Artists are not alone. I mean, I don't care what business you're in. You got you got into business because you loved something. So like whether you were a baker and you love baking, you want to start a bakery or whether you're even a doctor, you want to go practice medicine. There's all of this stuff that goes around yeah. being in business. Nobody likes paying their taxes. You know, <laughs> nobody <laughs> likes that. You know, so it's not so romantic. 
being an entrepreneur. Yeah. You have to wear all these hats and not all of the hats fit so well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> like being scared of like not messing anything up because I'm like, oh, like I don't want to get like caught up in something. <laughs> yeah. Like making sure. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get audited. Oh, no. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like something I'm just like, oh. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> well, you mentioned applying for grants. How many grants do you think you've applied for in your practice over the last, you know, many years? I have no idea. Oh, I think several, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Probably just like a few dozen. A few dozen. Yeah, and I think that's like something else is like grant writing, mm-hmm. like writing proposals. I feel like that's something that I definitely have. Like it's another aspect of like sitting down and actually, you know, because I I feel like I can talk about my work more verbally, but then like putting it down into paper, you know, I actually have to like structure my sentences a certain way or like speaking Spanish first, then I'll like, I'll write it, translate it directly. I'm like, oh, that does not make sense. Um, there's like other factors that I'm just like, oh, I really need to practice. And then also like searching like certain grants or like which ones will be beneficial or which ones like have fees too. You know, like sometimes I have any, most of the time I don't. So it's like, Also seeing like, oh, is it worth it to like risk spending that fee? And then like, maybe I do, maybe I don't. But I have definitely applied for a few, at least a a few dozen grants. Where do you find when you look for grants that you might want to apply for? Where do you typically go to find Mm -hmm. grant opportunities? Most of the time, I feel like that's like a, definitely a pro of Instagram because mm-hmm. I found a lot through there. And most of the time, they're like pretty low fees, if not zero fees. Obviously, the one with Not Real Art Grant through ArtShare. Mm-hmm. So sometimes even like through shows that I've done and just kind of like keeping up or like checking back in with their websites or like saving them and being like, oh, like it's worth it. But definitely, I feel like mo- for the majority, it's definitely through Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, like one will pop up and then like you can see another one. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I do like periodically just like type in like Southern California grants or just like grants mm-hmm. for artists. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely number one social media and then just like actually typing it in into like Google or something. Yeah, you know, asking this question caused me to wonder about something else, which is about community, right? Like, because you would think, right, that opportunities you would learn about opportunities through speaking with other artists. But the reality is so many artists are isolated. Well, now they're really isolated, but being an artist is such a lonely kind of occupation. Artists really struggle, I think, to find community sometimes. Where do you find your community as an artist? Where do you, I mean, like Americans for the Arts, for example. I mean, that might be one idea of how some people find community. But you personally, like where do you talk shop with other colleagues. Yeah, it's something that I miss now that, you know, COVID has just, you know, no social gathering. It was, I think, more so through Central American events. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this thing of like, going so long with like, I wouldn't just like randomly run into a Central American or somebody else was from like Central America. So definitely through, I guess, uh, like cultural, cultural events that I hosted also by like community. Mm -hmm. There is this one coffee shop in Compton called Patria. The owner is Guatemalan and he would always host or like have like folks host like workshops and panel discussions. And it was so beautiful because you could just feel it that he was like, this isn't my space. This is like the community space. This is your space. And then also like recognizing, you know, that we're on Tungville, we're on stolen land, we're on Tungville land. So I think just like those spaces, like these like radical spaces or these like spaces that like, you know, are like, for the people hosted by the folks, like nobody else can talk about us but us. So definitely like these events were 
I can like talk openly, like without no censor. And like, I could say certain things that I don't have to go the extra mile of explaining, like (laughs) just being like for like the first time, being able to say something like once and be like, yes, like I get you. So definitely like these like uh, Central American, like little like safe spaces are definitely like places where I can like even talk with where I've met like other folks in other aspects of like art, like poetry. One of my good friends, Pineda, she's a poet. So it's really interesting to also talk about two other like creatives, like pa- going past like paint, right? Because that's like a different process that I'm like, whoa, like you're a writer. Like how's your process of creating? Yeah. I ask about it too, because that's one of the reasons why we started the Not Real Art Grant is to try to, we have the podcast, we have the grant, we have the blog, we have other things, you know, the events that we have done. I mean, it really is about trying to provide what some might call like water cooler moments <laughs> where people can come together, mm-hmm. have collegiality and yeah. have community because being an artist, a creative sometimes is very lonely. You're and you're working, 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 and you don't often get to share and learn from others. So I, you know, it just feels like a really important, you know, area for artists. So I just feel like artists need more opportunities to come together and share and learn and grow and to create, you know, the grant or the conference or the podcast to try to serve as like a water cooler kind of experience, you know, because it's lonely being uh, an artist sometimes. Yeah. And I think that's why I was really looking forward to meeting the other recipients too, because you do meet with artists that you wouldn't normally meet otherwise, or, you know, like just by chance, right? Sometimes like, you may like be like following each other on Instagram, but that's not the same as like actually knowing and like conversing and being able to like share different perspectives and see what like they're discussing in their art, whatever it may be. But yeah, definitely being able to like meet artists and see what they're like creating and what their thought process is. Well, and even getting back to what you were saying about some of the business stuff, it's like you're trying to figure this stuff out on your own. But if you could talk to another colleague and maybe they have done that before and they can Mm -hmm. tell you, Oh yeah, do it this way. You know, it's that kind of knowledge sharing, um, which is so important. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So speaking of the not real art grant, I'm so honored and grateful that you applied and that of course, you know, here we are, you are an official recipient of the grant. And so we're just so fortunate and honored to have you part of the not real art family. It's so exciting. I'm, I was like, I was so nervous to even see if I had gotten it. I was like, I hadn't like told my family that I had applied. So I was like, and then I remember because it was like at a certain time and I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sleep and I'm not gonna, I was like, if it doesn't happen, it's fine. <laughs> I can like work off. And I, I think Jackie had texted me. She was like, congratulations, but we got it. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was just so humbled to even be able to like have the opportunity to be to be chosen and again just like have that have that economic stability and like have that like community and like know that you know other folks were like looking and like actually like maybe like connected with my work or like took the time also because I know I, I mean I've never been on a panel so I'm sure that that must be like such a grueling um, process <laughs> to like read everybody's work and like so thank you for it's taking stressful. the time. <laughs> yeah. It's you know, yeah. because you know how meaningful it is to all the artists and yeah. you have a natural love for all the artists and, and respect for the, all the artists. But at the end of the day, there can only be six yeah. <laughs> um, recipients, but yeah, no, we we're so 
proud of our of our recipients last year. You know, last year we we did it a little bit differently. We awarded a thousand dollars to twelve artists, mm-hmm. um, which was great and obviously meaningful to them, to us, what have you. But this year we decided, you know what, let's pare that down a little bit. And so we ended up going with six recipients for $2,000 grants. But for us, it's not just about awarding the grants and walking away. I mean, we really think of our grant recipients as part of the family. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not just about, oh, you know, see you later. Mm -hmm. We want to keep a relationship and keep the things going. I mean, some of last year's grant recipients now, you know, write for our blog. You know, Mm -hmm. we've hired a couple of the recipients for some creative projects that we have going on, you know, so trying to to really a platform, right. To what I like to say, you know, celebrate and elevate artists and their work. Mm Because it feels like more than anything, artists want and need help promoting their work, telling their stories Yes. Yeah. And so that's, you know, like the pod, that's why we want all the grant recipients to come on the podcast. You know, each of our six recipients will get a podcast like we're doing today and give them a chance to shine and, and tell their stories a bit. And, you know, but because of the COVID situation, we had to, we we're having to change things up this year a little bit. Last year, as you may recall, we had yeah. the ex- exhibition mm-hmm. at Art Share LA Gallery. You know, this year we're going to make that a virtual exhibition. So we'll be doing something online featuring everybody in their work. And I'll be, we'll be promoting that and driving traffic to that. But we're also looking at trying to do a um, public projection, like a public relation where we're projecting work in a public space and sort of promoting everybody and celebrating everybody that way. Yeah, it is interesting to have to like plan, like alter change it, think of how to like promote art through this pandemic. (laughs) Uh, uh Yes, yes. So I tend to think of it as just a creative challenge uh, and, you know, an opportunity to to get creative. (laughs) But yeah, we all love a good gallery uh, show and, you know, where we can come and be together. And that's what's so hard about this about this time is that we're all hungry for some rubbing of the elbows uh, Mm. as we used to do. But we're um, working on that stuff. And I'll be sharing more with you as that comes available. What are you working on right now? Like, what is your next show that you're aware of? Yeah, I'm actually going to be included in a show in Maryland, the oh, University wow. of Maryland. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, it's all Central American artists. So it was actually a group show that was showing at Duke University. Mm-hmm. And now it's a traveling show to Maryland. And at Duke, it was like the first time that they had a highlighted Central American artist. And that'll be in September. But again, also, it'll be hung like physically. But of course, you know, it's going to be limited. And I think mainly for the most part, virtual. Yeah. And then I had some shows, but obviously, you know, that now they've been postponed. So I'm not exactly sure. I'm still like continuing to work like as if I would have like a show coming up like anytime. But yeah, that's the only one that I can remember. I think I might have another one in September. But again, I think it'll mainly be virtual. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the only like one that is really cemented in, in Maryland. How many pieces will you have in that show? Uh, three pieces. Three pieces, uh, right. Yeah, one five, five by six foot, and then the other ones are 10 by 10, and the other one's like a, like a six by 12. How many pieces in your studio right now available for sale? I got a lot. If got anybody wants me. <laughs> I know I got a lot. <laughs> um, I'm trying to see. I can give you like a little glimpse if that's okay. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. So this wow. is a little bit 
So I Me have to Yeah. So let me see if I can. I just love your color palette. It is so Thank just you. soothing and pleasing to the eye. Like it's just beautiful. Yeah. So I have a, a few. Those are all like works in progress. But I, I have a, I mean, I have some of like my paintings from, I had a solo show in San Francisco. Um, mm -hmm. So I have a few from there. I have like around like 20 paintings available for sale. I can think of. Yeah. Well, we'll be sure to tell all of our listeners where to find you. That being said, where on social uh, can they find you? Yeah, so I'll link to Instagram because <laughs> that's all I can handle right now. <laughs> so it's Kiara underscore Eileen underscore arts. So Kiara Eileen arts is my social media. Got it, got it. I'll be sure to put that on the show notes and on the blog posts and everything so they'll, they'll find you. I mean, you know, being such a talented artist, who makes real art. Our name, not real art, must be very funny in some ways. What does the phrase not real art mean to you? I think I took it more into maybe like elitist, right? Which I really like, even just reading like your website and the proposal, like the, what is it? The prerequisites, right? Mm -hmm. I really enjoy that and really like tapped into that because even being Central American, like I know that the first thing that I go like into looking into museums is if there's any like Central American artists, like not even from Guatemala or Salvador or Honduras, just being like Panama, like Belize, like we're seeing. So, and then also like in a lot of these spaces, you know, going into certain museums and galleries and, and not being like paid attention because of like how we look there's like this like esteemed way of like only certain people are able to afford certain types of paintings. So I kind of took it as that, like the elitist type or like the inaccessibility of like certain, certain spaces versus like not real art grant of like recognizing that. And then also like recognizing like some like bullshit art that like gets so much, <laughs> so much, how do you say it? Like, uh, like such a platform or like so much uh, fame or credit or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like so much that they're like, wow. And it's like, that's a, that means shit to me. Oh, that's a Marvel <laughs> character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So in that sense too, of like recognizing also that like within there's like artists who really like focus and like there's like actual like meaning behind it. And then there's like other art that's like nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of like cotton candy or, <laughs> or something, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I'd like to ask all the grant recipients, you know, that question about our name, not real art, because and you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, we aspire to be the alternative, right? Yeah. To the elitist sort of snobby. Yeah. Uh, we came up with not real art about two years ago. And over the last couple of years, you know, when I talk to artists about it or say to artists, they get the joke immediately. Artists laugh. Like, oh, that's so great. We love it because they get the joke. Yeah. So many gallerists or collectors <laughs> or patrons I talk to, they scratch their head and they yeah. get a grimace look on their face and say, what? They're like, oh, that's a dig at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There was, did you ever see the movie Velvet Buzzsaw? Velvet Buzzsaw. No. I'm going to make a note of that. There's, so I also have some paintings in the opening scene. Really? Yeah. The Miami... Basel, is that how you pronounce it? Basel. Mm -hmm. Basel, yeah, in like the opening scenes when they're walking, the paintings behind Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, wait, Velvet Buzzsaw. Yes, I have seen that movie. I'm oh. sorry, it's the horror movie where the paintings come alive because the artists use real blood. Yeah, right? yeah. But there, 
Yeah, I have some paintings in like the opening scene. I have some throughout too, but like, you know, they're far away. But there is like this one scene where they go into like an artist, like later on in the movie, they go into like the artist's studio or he's like playing basketball or something. Or he's like in a in his studio and there's like a pile of trash and this guy like walks up and he's like, wow, that's that's beautiful. And he's like, that's trash. Like, and that just like, that was mm, beautiful. (laughs) Like other people start seeing like everything as art and it's like, that literally means nothing. Like that's sincerely like trash. (laughs) On the floor. Yeah, that's (laughs) (laughs) very cool. Well, Kiara, I am so, as I said, charmed and fortunate and grateful for our time together today and our, and our new friendship. Thank you so much. Yeah, especially, especially during these times, it's nice to see, like to talk to somebody new outside. I love my family, but <laughs> it's nice to, like, to I know, I say the same thing. I love my kids. I love my wife. But you know what? It's nice to talk to another person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> outside of like grocery, like limited, like going to the groceries and like, Hey, yeah, it is nice to I find myself running a lot of errands right now. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'll go take the trash out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, please know that I, that we are here for you. Don't ever hesitate to call or text or whatever about anything. Obviously, we'll be talking more in the next few weeks about some of the mm-hmm. stuff that's coming up. But congratulations, Kiara. You deserve it. And thanks again for being a part of the Not Real Art family. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been such a heartwarming welcome. So I definitely appreciate all aspects. Like you mentioned, not just, you know, giving us the money and then like piecing out. <laughs> Thank you so much for having, creating that community and wanting to create that community and being knowledgeable and accountable of <laughs> trash art too. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, you are more than welcome. The honor is all ours. And you have a beautiful day. Are you going to be painting uh, this afternoon? What does the rest of your day look like? Definitely. Yeah. Up until like five in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah just like continuing to work, yeah. probably like look into some grants or something. Great. But yeah, definitely working and like painting. Sounds good. Well, enjoy. Have a beautiful evening. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> hey there. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, please. Press the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram at Not Real Art World. If you're an artist, be sure to apply for our 2021 artist grant at notrealart.com. Sourdough out.